0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio with no affiliation with any detective agency, person, real or imagined or the dark forces of Outreterre. It is not intended for children. This is Jim Donovan, time is 10am, and I'm recording on my phone at the Redwoods Monastery in Whitethorn, California. I'd hope not to have anything to report for a while, but as I say, the best laid plans of mice and men oft go astray. Right after I had caused serious structural damage to the Griffith Observatory, killed dozens of necromancers, and held in my arms, a woman who while under magical compulsion confessed to loving me, Father Smith, my Vatican contact in LA, had me transported in a black SUV to the Our Lady of the Redwoods Monastery. I didn't realize women had monasteries too. I just had the mental image of a bunch of guys in brown robes going, Be Dominique and hitting themselves with planks of wood. The SUV pulled into a little driveway by a cabin in the woods. Father Smith walked me to the cabin off the main buildings and explained the situation to me. Jim, as long as you stay here, you are safe. This cabin and the monastery grounds have been blessed and are protected from what you call the forces of Outreterre. If you leave the monastery grounds, however, I cannot speak for what might happen. The recent pandemic has closed this area off to the public, so only the sisters and Father James will be present. If you would like to consult with any of them, or confess to Father James, you are welcome to. But please, don't disturb the sanctity of the silence. So, don't take my cold out for target practice. Father Smith treated my quip seriously. Yes, among other things. I will return in a week. I cannot ask them to host you longer than that. Oh, and the monastery serves vegetarian meals. I hope that will not be a problem. I decided quite quickly that I was going to be fasting for most of this week. The next three days were spent walking around the property. It was quiet and peaceful, which I both expected and desperately needed. Since the monastery is built up against the California redwoods, I made the decision to walk right up to the property line and gaze at the trees. For those three days, I did not go further. Father Smith's warning about leaving the monastery grounds still ringing clear in my ears. The evening of my third day of solitude, the abbess of the monastery came to visit me. She was an older lady, easily in her seventies, with her stark white hair cut into a bob, and with an easy smile. Like all the sisters, she wore white robes, rather than what I thought was the traditional nun's garb of black and white robes and that weird hood thing. She invited me out for a bit of a walk around the property, and while we walked, and she showed me certain areas or statues, she asked me for my help. I noticed that she did it in front of an ornate statue of Mary holding the baby Jesus. Uh, The priest who brought you here explained who you are and what you are doing here. Uh, He did not break the confidentiality of the confessional, of course, Uh, but he did inform me that uh, you are a, a dangerous man. The screams of dozens of melting necromancers echoed in my head for a second. I prefer to think of myself as only dangerous to those who would threaten the innocent. She waved her hand dismissively in front of her face. That is neither here nor there at the moment. I need a dangerous man to take on a dangerous task. I sighed. It wasn't a hopeless sigh or an exasperated one. I'd been getting a little antsy, not having anything to do or anything worth eating. I don't even have TV here. A little excitement was welcome. As the abbess talked, she slipped between semi-modern and archaic language. Made my head hurt. Here's a summary. Apparently, a couple years ago. One of the sisters had been out on a charity mission to San Francisco, and while she was there, she was seduced by a creature of Otretaire. The abbess was hazy on the details, because apparently the sister couldn't remember much. I'm not even sure if she gave willing consent or had her will subverted. But, long story short, a few months later, far shorter than expected gestation time, she gave birth to a bouncing baby minotaur. Yep, cow head, human body. Apparently they knew what it was and it was gestating, but... The Vatican is pretty strict on abortions, even when it would be eliminating, mm, preventing eldritch horrors. I'm not sure about that. On the one hand, sanctity of life. But on the other hand, a creature of the Outre Terre is irredeemably evil, even by my admittedly loose standards. The abbess continued, saying that this bouncing baby boy had grown far faster than a mortal human child. Escaping the confines of the monastery, and had been living in the redwood forest, eating hikers and tourists. As a favor of the monastery, the forest rangers carefully blamed the death on whatever predators were roaming around naturally, so as not to tip off, well, me, or people like me. We had circled back to the cabin that I was staying in. I agreed to take the job, provided she had a bacon cheeseburger waiting for me. Jack's got his barbecue obsession, Sean likes the ladies. For me, it's all about a bacon cheeseburger. So I gathered my things. Father Smith had left me with my Colt 911, as well as the Soulstone, which I had picked up when he allowed me to gather some belongings. He didn't cast any aspersions on it, didn't ask any questions, didn't even raise an eyebrow. <sighs> I don't understand. My decapitated familiar, Gordon O'Hedesey, said that there is divine retribution when a mortal uses magic to harm other mortals. But not only did I not receive a visit from an angelic executioner, but the Catholic Church, infamous for burning heretics and witches, didn't seem to care that I wielded an instrument of paranormal destruction. Could, could Gordon have been lying to me? Well, lying to me a few weeks into our relationship over this—eh, bears thinking about later. I hope he doesn't say mysterious waves when I ask him. Anyway, the next morning I gather my things, put a water bottle in a backpack and I set out to explore the forest and beyond. I took out my phone so I could use a GPS to navigate and walked directly for the tree line. The first trees near me were towering edifices, natural skyscrapers that pierced the clouds with leafy magnificence. The manicured lawn of the monastery stopped abruptly at the trees and I stood at the edge of the grass and peered into the forest. It felt like something was drawing me deeper. You know that feeling you get when you're on a high place and you hear a voice say, "Jump." There's a similar feeling. I didn't feel any danger, just adrenaline, excitement, and the desire to see more. I might have, in that moment, genuinely loved my job. I walked forward into those organic monoliths. Mankind has always feared forests. Forests are where wild animals live, surely. But there's also evidence that this is where the Nephilim of old hunted and stalked mankind. There are creatures of the deepest, darkest reaches of Ocher's hair who make their home in the woods. And the Fae tend to congregate in the woods, waiting to trap mortals within their mushroom circles. I kept a weather eye for such anomalies. I hadn't translated much of Hawkwood's journals. A man can only take so much 1980s television. They had scratched out forest rituals. Though I knew that Jack was, um, well, his nativity, we'll say, is of forests, there was something special to them that a populated area, or, or an area that has churches at every other street corner, had changed to its roots. Seeing how he turned out, I am perfectly fine with city living. As I said earlier, my phone was out and a map app was up and running. There was supposedly a famous waterfall nearby, but I had to get through a maze of trees. I know enough to start searches from an easily findable landmark. Were I walking without any sort of GPS system, I would surely be lost since I've not taken any land navigation courses. tell you right now, Control. After this, I will be taking at least a few survival courses. Maybe see if Jack's friend, whom he racistly refers to as the Old Shawnee, does he even know the man's name? See if he can give me some pointers when he's not training the new recruits. I heard something creeping up behind me in the forest. It wasn't moving particularly stealthily, but it didn't sound like an 800-pound half bull half man. I turned my head all around and was kind of irritated I didn't see anything. The redwoods' forests are not drowning in vegetation and undergrowth. I ducked behind a tree, colt-drawn. I didn't hear footsteps, but cloth made a rustling noise against ferns and undergrowth. It got closer and closer as it drew nearer and nearer. I waited until the last second, and then crept out around the tree to catch it from behind. And I saw the abbess, walking through the woods, in her white robe, carrying an old double-barrel shotgun. "'Abbas?' I said. She jumped with a start and fired both blasts from the shotgun straight in front of her. The recoil, and the terrible way she was holding the gun, ricocheted the shotgun out of her hands, and it landed a few feet in front of me. The echo went through the trees. "'Minatar must know I'm coming now, amateurs.' She spun around, a look of confused terror on her face. Once she recognized me, she smiled and said, "'Oh, Mr. Donovan, you gave me quite a start.' I grabbed the gun, broke the action, and dumped the spent shells onto the forest floor. I looked around, ignoring the nun for a moment, and aside from some startled birds that had taken flight at the sudden noise, I didn't hear or see anything untoward. Of course, my ears were still ringing from the double shot of 12-gauge, but still. I looked back at the abbess. Why are you here? I told you I'd take care of the minotaur. She looked a bit ashamed and stared at the ground. When I let you go out from safety and into danger, I was overcome with a sudden guilt that I was letting you go off alone without any backup. You see, the creature is cunning. He may have been born of a woman, but he was sired by a creature of utter darkness. So, since there are no battle-friars or warrior monks around, I need to defend the monastery by providing you with backup. I didn't need another innocent woman dying on my watch. I had come here to escape that, but I couldn't send her back into the woods alone. I asked if she had any extra shells. She dug into a deep pocket in her white robes. Look like she can fit an entire Catholic Bible in one of those things. I reloaded the gun for her and gave her some pointers that Jack had given me on how to safely carry and use a shotgun. I made sure she walked beside me rather than in front or behind. I carried my pistol in a low grip, and we began walking. As we were walking, I had a thought and paused. The abbess walked a few more steps, turned back to me, and whispered, What's wrong? I gave her a sheepish grin and said, I just realized we're in a huge forest. I'm not a tracker. I have no idea how to find this creature. She smiled back at me, reassuringly. Oh, don't worry, young man. I prayed to St. Felicitas and St. Anthony before I set out this morning. I'm confident that either we shall find him or... He shall find us. The trees really weren't that close together, at least not as close as the forest I was used to in Oregon. They still blocked out the sun and cast everything in a sort of pseudo-twilight illumination. I didn't hear any birds. I remember reading once that this was how you knew a predator was in the area. My head was on a swivel. Suddenly, I heard a bleating noise. I expected a lowing, as is from cattle, but not a bleating. I couldn't tell where it was coming from, my gun swiveled every which way. The abbess asked me, uh, what's that? But I shushed her quickly. The bleeding stopped temporarily after she spoke, and then I heard it approaching us, getting louder. From around a tree crawled out, not a giant half-man half-bovine, but the cutest lizard I have ever seen. It was so fat it waddled. It was the one responsible for the bleeding noise. I walked over to it and bent down. It had a tiny snout that looked like it curved naturally into a smile. Its legs were just long enough to help it ambulate, but they looked stumpy, like a monitor lizard's legs. Its scales weren't the deep forest green that I would have expected, for camouflage, but were instead more of a lime green, or kind of a seafoam color. I holstered my pistol and walked over to it. It didn't seem hostile. I didn't feel any sense of animosity coming from it. Not that I'm sort of telepath or empath or whatever it cocked its head up to me smiled that smile that seemed to come naturally and it bleated happily at me i picked it up it was surprisingly heavy maybe 30 or 40 pounds its scales were exceedingly tiny and close together and they wrinkled kind of like a sharpay dog's fur wrinkles i don't know what this thing is control but staring at this weird happy almost dog-like lizard in the forest I decided i had to take it home with me i emptied out my backpack putting the contents in the various pockets of my cargo shorts my backpack is slated to carry up to 50 pounds so so i easily fit the lizard inside and partially sealed the bag so its head could stick out i don't know if it was because it was exceedingly smart or just lazy because it seemed to understand me when i said okay now don't you move i'll name you later the abbess was watching this staring at me like i was dangerously unstable and insane I guess I don't blame her. We were on a hunt for a mythological creature, and I just stuffed what could be some dangerous fae inside my backpack. So, no, Control, I don't know what I was thinking. But now that I finally have a pet, I can't say that I regret it either. I thought that picking the lizard up would calm the birds down, but... They remained utterly silent. Didn't like the sound of that. Or, rather, the not sound of that. Suddenly, from behind the tree she had been standing next to, A giant hand lashed out and backhanded the abbess. She went flying ten feet and landed in a pile of pine needles next to a tree. The fall wouldn't have hurt her, but surely the blow did. A seventy-year-old woman flying from a blow like that, that's not good. The minotaur stepped out. Much like in the Greek legends, it had a man's lower half, but a bull's head. That head was supported by massive, rippling neck muscles that bulged like bizarre tumors from its shoulders. He stood seven feet tall and was proportioned like Arnold Schwarzenegger was in his prime. It moved with an odd lurching motion, as though it was off balance because of the horns that sprouted from its bovine forehead. Two long horns, four feet on each side. Its left horn caught on the tree and stopped it from charging. It snorted in fury and punched the trunk of the tree, gouging a huge chunk at horn height. It was a six-foot-wide tree, and that monster easily ripped out a chunk of it, the size of one of those inflatable red yoga balls. It burst through and regained its footing. It stared at the abyss, who was crawling away. Her shotgun had been thrown from her grasp, as lying halfway between me and her. I was standing in <clears throat> shocked awe at this nude creature. This was what I expected it to look like, but that's one thing to have a picture of it in your imagination. To see it up close is to stare at a myth made real. It snorted at me, and I took a step back. It stalked over to the abbess, bent down awkwardly, and picked her up by one arm, pulling her to see the creature eye to eye. Her feet dangled two feet off the ground. It spoke, deep, guttural, but eloquent in frame and word choice. Why hast thou treated me so? Was I not thy greatest creation, mother mine? Regardless of my foul father... I should have been thine Adam. Instead, I am not but a fallen angel, shunned by thee and forsaken. Literary references: I should have guessed. The abbess mentioned that the creature was born of a nun, but never said what came of her. The abbess spoke in the same manner of the beast, pain racking her body and causing her voice to waver. Thou wert conceived in iniquity and born in righteousness, yet thou rebelled against our tutelage and instruction. Is it not fitting, then, to destroy a monster? For in slaying innocence, thou hast become a monster, most foul. A monster! It roared, dangling by her arm. The abbess closed her eyes and braced herself for the onslaught to come. I raised my colt, hoping that he would fling her again so I could get a clear shot. As it was, her body was obstructing the beast's head and chest, and I could not risk hitting her. Even still, I wasn't sure if she'd survive being flung again at her age. And never a man. Not even when you loved me, it said. The minotaur did not fling her. It did not hurt her at all. Instead, it paused for a second, a tear forming in its eye. It set her down on her feet and turned to me. Behind his big, dumb cow eyes, I could see intelligence burning. He knew what he was doing. He rushed me, and I discharged my pistol five times into its giant head. I stepped to the side as the beast stumbled and fell and lay still. Its mother rushed over to him and cried piteously, the lizard in my backpack made bleeding sounds and sympathy. I'm going to go over this thing with a fine-toothed comb. You can't question these things too much, but I am developing a bit of a magical menagerie. The abbess was too weak to walk, so I concentrated for about five minutes, slipped into the visio, and allowed a tiny thread of magic to make her weigh less. I carried the abbess in my arms. When we got back to the monastery, I called Father Smith and explained the situation. He was surprised, as the abbess had kept the existence of the Minotaur a secret from the Vatican. He told me that the Church understands desperate acts, but will not say anything more on the issue. As for me, I'm holed up in the monastery until the end of the week, and while the abbess is here waiting for a life flight helicopter to take to the nearest hospital, I'm recording on my phone. I guess I'll finish out the week. I didn't expect adventure, but <laughs> I guess adventure expected me. I don't think I'm ever going to get my bacon cheeseburger out of this. Oh, Jack, if you're listening to this, uh, I checked my messages a few minutes ago. I'll look into that corpse a second I get back into town. Let's hope Eugene can figure out how to rent cold storage. This might be my first real test, preserving monster meat. And Sean, you gotta stop drinking before bedtime. No one believes that you time-traveled and met George Washington. It's not even a clever lie. Until next time, this is Jim Donovan, over and out. Pinkerton's Ghosts. Is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution non commercial share alike international license. This episode was written by Kin Dickerson and performed by the same. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Kin Dickerson performs our audio editing. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com or listen to us on Unauthorized, Acast, iTunes, or Spotify. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts, email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com, or send us noble messenger possums with messages strapped to their backs. Don't worry, they know how to find us. Thank you for listening. And good luck.